Hello and welcome to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company. And today I'm honestly so excited to start a brand new series that we're titled Revival Out of This World Move of God. And I am a believer. I am a dreamer of the day where God moves so powerfully in our midst and sweeps through our diverse areas and industries and cultures and subcultures and esteem the name of Jesus in such a way that we've never seen before. Revival is our dream. And uh, you might ask, Peter, why are we speaking about revival? Maybe it used to be a buzzword. It's no longer. And, uh, and I fully understand that the concept that we will share over the next four weeks or so, it probably doesn't ring true to everybody. And this series is particularly directed to people who feel discouraged by the state of Christianity and that the decline in the senses, at least in our nation, over the past uh, uh, 50 or so years of 30% decline in the number of people uh, that embrace the faith of Jesus. Uh, some of us are not only worried about the numbers, we're worried about the culture of Christianity, the prevailing culture of Christianity that, that may be there, but may be spiritually lethargic, maybe even dead. And maybe we're worried about the brand of Christianity that offers the world in a seeker sensitive environment, but demands not what Jesus demands, a life that is wholeheartedly offered to God as a gratitude for the life that Jesus offered to every single one of us. Maybe you are so utterly discouraged by the idea that, you know, what can we do? There is nothing we can do. Like there's so much mess. The spiritual condition around us is, is not what we hope to see. And we, like we're a handful of people or we're not really the majority. We can't do much. And, and the truth is this, maybe we can't do much. But Historians who have looked at the history of the church throughout many decades have discovered that there is a solution. And one of those people have written a book called uh, Thinking Clearly About Revival. And he writes that in a day when many are looking for human answers to the ills of the church and the world, the testimony of both scripture and history would suggest that only revival will heal our nation. That only revival will heal our nation. And probably you agree with that. You wonder uh, if, if there is any way uh, that we can participate in that move of God that sweeps the land. Maybe to some extent that we can do things, but ultimately it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes revival possible. Dr. Stipe again defines revival as a season ordained by God in which the Holy Spirit awakens the church to evangelize the lost and the lost to their desperate need of Jesus Christ. 
Revivals therefore involve a manifestation of the power of God in the community as well as in that church. Praise Jesus for that. They occur when God sweeps through a region in great power, causing believers and unbelievers to be impacted by the personality of Jesus Christ. The solutions, friend, is a move of God that sweeps through our region, sweeps through our families, sweeps through our communities, our neighborhoods, our cities, and in need, the nations of the world. And I don't know your experiences of reading about, observing, or even being part of some revivals wherever you may be located. But back in 2005, I was ruined for good by the idea of revival. I was studying through the book of 1 King, as well as I was reading uh, an, a biography about the prophet Elijah of the Old Testament by the brilliant author uh, Chuck Swindoll. And uh, in it, uh, without me noticing, I wasn't thinking about a revival, but I felt God whisper something that absolutely undid me. I had never seen it in the scripture before, and I have been a Christian for a long time. And I will share about that in the, in the next couple of times. But I discovered a whisper that God deposited in the pages of, of the scripture and the pages of that book that I was reading of an unprecedented revival being promised. And it was initially overwhelming, but like a little child, I believed it. And it began to determine my prayer, my fasting, my communication with anyone who bothered to listen, my preaching, everything I did. I was longing for the day where the Lord, by the power of His Spirit, will sweep through our church, our neighborhood, and indeed our city. And uh, one, one time around 2006 or 2007, I was sharing with a group of people about the anticipated revival that God will come and not tarry. And uh, uh, one esteemed leader, uh, some sort of a mentor to me, uh, took me aside after my sharing and he said to me, Peter, I know you've been talking about revival for a long time. I just want to ask you one question. What would you do if revival never came? What would you do if revival never came? And right there and then, it was almost like a bucket of water being thrown at the enthusiasm and the fire that I so hoped would, 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 would ignite other people around me to seek a move of God, an unprecedented move of God. And really the implication uh, from my uh, kind friend and my own uh, doubts was why bother if we can't actually control uh, this phenomena of revival? Why bother? Like you've got a ministry. Why don't you just invest in the ministry? Why don't you just teach the scripture? Why don't you just uh, do the activities that are required to reach out? And, and I'm not saying revival takes away any of that. But revival does take us into another realm where God's activity overwhelms our activities. Alongside what we do, we anticipate 
a powerful move of God. And maybe you can affiliate with my friend. Maybe for you, you feel like, you know what, Peter, I have never seen a revival before. And those people that talk about a revival, they're a little bit delusional. And maybe you are occupied. Maybe you're occupied, too occupied to think about revival or to pray for it because you've got families to look after. You've got, you know, hobbies. You've got ambitions. You've got goals. And, and you've, maybe even you've got a ministry that is thriving or that you believe could thrive if you can invest a little bit more energy or recruit a little bit more help. And uh, maybe you feel like it's too hard to anticipate in this spiritual climate that God could actually make a difference. You would say to me, Peter, can't you see the attitude of our unbelieving communities towards the faith? Can't you believe the philosophies uh, that are prevalent in our midst that would say no to, the, uh, to, to following Jesus? Can't you hear the love of many have grown cold? And I would dare say, I understand. But what if, what if, friends, what if God could do something profound and there was the slightest possibility that God can usher an out-of-this-world move despite of our current spiritual condition? What if there is the slightest possibility that God can usher an out-of-this-world move and a revival? Well, over the next few weeks, I want to share with you uh, just a, a three primary concepts from the life of Elijah about the possibility of revival. We can learn uh, from the life of Elijah about the person that God uses to usher revival. We can learn about the purpose of revival and we can learn about the prerequisites of revival. So today I'd love just to basically share with you briefly from the beginning of the narrative about the life of Elijah in the first book of King chapter 16, just some observations about the type of people God uses to launch and usher a brand new era of revival. And Elijah, if you know a little bit of the history of Elijah, he actually was part of a new era in the history of Israel. As an esteemed Old Testament prophet, before Elijah, we hear that prophets were few and far in between. But after Elijah, there was uh, so many prophets, hundreds. In fact, there was a school of prophets established after him. You see, he was the forerunner of this new era of God talking through people and prophetically declaring his message to his people. But also, uh, Elijah ushered a distinct era of miracles, one of three primary eras of miracles in all of the scripture. And so much so that him and Elisha uh, uh, started uh, the work of God in such a way that their community began to listen and this huge transformation that took place that we will talk about over the next few weeks. 
And the reality is this, what was so special about Elijah and his era is that we could, uh, you know, uh, learn something or two about how God brings about new eras, new spiritual eras in our midst. And the first thing is the context of Elijah's ministry. So Elijah, Elijah came about at a time when Ahab uh, was, uh, was the king in the northern uh, kingdom of, of, of Israel. And this is the beginning of the story in uh, 1 King chapter uh, 16, starting from verse 29. It says, Ahab, son of Emery, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samariah over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Emery, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him, any, any of those kings before him, really. He not only considered, uh, considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jerobo, Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ithbal, king of Sidonians. And what you need to know, first of all, about King Ahab, that he was the son of Omri, King Omri, who was considered a very evil person already. Look at verse 25 in 1 Kings 16. It says, But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. Does that mean the kings before him were really good? Well, the previous king, King Zimri, king of Israel, he was so bad, he assassinated the king Basha before him in 1 Kings chapter uh, 16, verses 12 and 13. He assassinated the king before, before him and destroyed his, his, uh, his whole household. And, and he committed, uh, you know, all those kings have uh, brought uh, the anger, provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless idols. They had idolatry. They had committed murders and assassination, and they had produced a, a spiritual climate that was so wicked and ungodly. They, 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 after Solomon, there were two kingdoms. The kingdoms were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, uh, is known for the number of kings, uh, uh, about 19 kings over uh, 200 years who did the wicked thing in the eyes of God. They provoked him to anger. Yet this Ahab, was distinguished by being the most wicked out of them all. It was like deterioration all about. He was the seventh uh, king of Israel and it was getting from bad to worse, really, in this horrible spiritual environment, in this horrible spiritual climate. You know, Ahab not only uh, was wicked, but it says that he married Jezebel. And Jezebel brought that worship of Baal from her home country. And, and then uh, as a result, Ahab says that he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that was built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, more than did all the kings of Israel before him. So uh, Ahab made official the worship of Baal. 
How wicked is that? Baal was the god of storm and fertility. And, uh, and, and he brought the, uh, the worship into Israel. And in fact, him and his wife initially wanted, a, you, know, the, you know, people either worship Yahweh or worship Baal or worship both. It was pluralistic type of worship. And then Jezebel over time wanted to eliminate the whole worship of Yahweh. And Baal was, uh, was, was the esteemed one and people became so wicked and ungodly because of all the mess that was associated with the worship of Baal and the lack of standards of godliness the holy God wanted his people to represent. And in the midst of all of that, that wicked environment, Elijah steps on the pages of history. And this is how it is introduced. Now Elijah the Tishabite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, All of a sudden, we don't hear of his parents. We don't hear of his birth. Very little information is given about him. But he steps in this wicked spiritual climate. And Elijah, the actual name of Elijah is that God is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. It's almost when everybody else was compromising. Some was were, you know, saying, you know, I, I worship God. Yeah, I worship Yahweh and Baal or others just worshiping Baal, stood Elijah as an uncompromising servant of the Lord. He said, my God, maybe different from what you think my God should be, different from the prevailing culture, different from the pressure that others have placed on one another to do the right thing by the queen and, and worship, uh, you know, the Baal she's introduced. And, and he says, my God is Yahweh. Isn't that beautiful? An uncompromising servant of the Lord. He comes from a place called Teshbe. And Teshbe in the land of Gilead is actually so unknown that the scholars, Old Testament scholars say, in the land of Gilead, we can't find that city, uh, the city of Elijah. He came from an area that was so unknown. He wasn't the esteemed Messiah coming in to save the people. He was so unknown. And Gilead, that region that he was part of, it was an outdoor region where people there were so unsophisticated. They were rough and rugged. So he wasn't the choice of anyone. He wasn't really known to be the one that is going to come and make a difference. He was a nobody. But this nobody comes in and stands before the most wicked king. And it says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. What essentially what Ahab heard Elijah saying, saying, God is going to punish you. That he'll bring a judgment where you have neither dew or rain, which means there is no crops, the cattles will, will die, humans will die. There's an economic disaster going to happen as a result of what I say. It wasn't an easy thing in agricultural environment to say the source of your livelihood is taken away from you. Not only that, what you need to know is Baal was actually the one, the goddess, the storm god, 
who the people, uh, the people at the time imagined him to control the seasons. So he was going to bring the rain anyway. He was the God of fertility. So they, they assumed that they were safe. Their livelihood was totally in the hand of Baal. And now Elijah comes in and says, I'm going to show you who's boss. He was, uh, you know, moving his fist as, as Chuck Swindle in the face of the devil saying, I'm going to show you who's really in control. What a man. Not only that, he didn't come and say, the Lord told me and I am respectfully warning you, it's got nothing to do with me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm only a simple man. I come from Gilead. You know that I have nothing to offer. No, 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 no. He says, I'm telling you this, Ahab, and I take responsibility that I'm the one behind it. At my word, there will be rain again. You know what he was doing? He made himself public enemy number one. <laughs> he was essentially saying that I am the cause of the economic disaster you're experiencing. For many of us who live through this pandemic era, uh, we would say, you know, if somebody comes up and says, it's within my control to stop this COVID season, we'd say, what, do it. <laughs> if he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Say, we're going to pressure you to do it, especially if you're the king with all the power in the world and you're as wicked as Ahab and Jezebel, his wife. But this guy had no fear. You know why? He feared no one because he walked fearfully with the king of kings. He feared no king on earth because he walked fearfully with the king of kings. This is a man that God found that was going to usher a brand new era over God's people. You know how hard was that? For Elijah to stand to be, uh, you know, persecuted, uh, loss of potentially, uh, you know, his life. You know, if the king got mad, he could have he could have risked his life. It wasn't an easy project, but this unknown person who feared God and served Him, he didn't take easy. Easy was not a lens for decision-making for him. And easy should never be a lens for decision-making for God's selected movers and shakers. Easy is not an option. Easy is not the lens by which we determine whether we're going to do what God asked us to do or not. You see, the point is God found a man that would go out there and initiate an era under the control and the guidance of God's Spirit. But a man that would have, if he did not go because he was fearful, because the task was difficult, because the, the, the whisper was, was challenging, if, if, he, if he missed out on obeying God, what would have happened to what transpired and changed and transformed his nation? He was not going to take an easy as a lens by which he observed and made decision in his life. And you know what? I would like to say that God is looking for people like that to use to initiate, to usher, to launch a movement of Jesus-like disciples. You see, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, it says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But, oh my goodness, but I found 
no one. But I found no one. It's like God is saying, I want to do something. I want to save the land. I want to have mercy on on the land. I don't want to destroy it. But I looked for someone because I predetermined to do something. But my predetermined plan was reliant on finding someone that would participate, that would collaborate, that will take the goal that I have and consider it their priority and will obey whatever it takes to leave that out. But he couldn't. Imagine if that's what God is looking for for us today. He said, I don't want to destroy the land. I don't want to destroy, you know, he says, if my people who are called by my name, if they would humble themselves, if they will turn from their evil ways, if they will pray, I will do what I intend to do and heal the land, which is the opposite to destroying the land. Oh, but God is waiting for someone like Elijah, someone who is basically saying an I am uncompromising about following Jesus. Even if everybody around is is taken captive into this new culture of compromise. Yes, we look after Yahweh and yes, we look after Baal. Yes, we depend on Baal for our livelihood. But God is not bad as well. He can help us out when we need to. He stood strong and says no. I will stand for God if no one else stands for God. And he was a man who is unknown. He comes from a city that is unknown. He wasn't dependent on his resources. He wasn't dependent on his network. He wasn't res- uh, dependent on his credential. Like, what am I going to stand? Like, if I go tell people something about God, if I stand for what God is sending me for, people are going to say, who are you, mate? You're a little thing. You come from nowhere. And God is looking for that. And God is looking for someone that would say, it's not about being sophisticated. It's not about being talented. I come as rough and rugged. I come as I am to be used by God because I love Him and respect Him. And I want to do His business. What if, friends, what if God's next move, God's next big move was awaiting your next move? What if God was awaiting your next move to come to God and say, with uncompromising devotion, I want to see your name exalted and esteemed and loved. I want your gospel to get everywhere. I want to see and participate in a Jesus-like discipleship movement that would penetrate the compromising, the uh, you know, politically correct, the, 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 the type of culture that just want this and that, wants part of God, wants part of the world, wants part of God, wants part of me. What if we are the ones, what if one of us would stand like Elijah and say, my God is Jehovah. I'm uncompromising. And what about if we go regardless of our credential and our abilities and say, I will go and not fear. I will make my move because I know God wants to make His move in our environment. I pray that this week, I pray that this time you will take to say to God, help me to make your move in my life so that you can make your move 
in my community. Would you pray that? Thank you for watching. I'm looking forward to sharing with you the next several messages on revival, out of this world move of God. God bless you. See you next time.